Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto thee, O Lord our God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I grew up in a city. At age six, my family moved from the Chicago area to Phoenix. And that's where I grew up until I moved away to go to college. I grew up in a city. My wife, Jerry, over there, she grew up in the country. Born in Eastport, Maine, she spent her elementary years in a small town called Epping, New Hampshire, on 300 acres of woodlands and meadows and streams and gardens, a two-acre vegetable garden, a one-acre potato patch. She grew up learning how to grow her own food and how to pull lots of weeds. In a city, we didn't have to learn food. If you wanted food in the city, you go to the grocery store and you buy it. So I never learned how to grow food. Although my father loved flowers. And so I learned a little bit about that. He, he loved flowers, especially roses. We had lots and lots of roses. When uh, in springtime, we'd have strangers stop in front of our house to take pictures of the dozens upon dozens upon dozens of rose bushes lining the property. It was always spectacular. But of course, roses take work. And so at the right time of year, he'd prune the roses back, making certain that they'd be healthy and would produce well in the spring. When I got old enough, he'd have me help him do the pruning. And I got to tell you, I didn't like doing it. <laughs> I didn't like it at all. In fact, I disliked it quite a bit, which is why it kind of surprises me that now I love gardening. Maybe my father had planted some seeds within me when I was young, or maybe it was my wife Jerry's love of the outdoors, but, but now I love gardening. The transition began when we were serving a church in Camp Verde, Arizona. Camp Verde, a small town in central Arizona, three little rivers run through the town, great farmland, and everybody there has gardens. The church provided us with a home that had an acre backyard, irrigated from the Verde River, with fruit trees and a great place for a garden. So Jerry, seeing that, said, I want to grow a garden. I'm like, okay, I'll help out. So I got out the roller tiller and I started tilling up the ground. I didn't know what I was doing, nor did I have any clue that the soil really needed some help. Well, shortly before it was time for her to plant, we were out running some errands. And while we were gone, somebody, ended up being a member of the church, came over to our house, and dumped a whole truckload of aged manure on our garden. <laughs> when Jerry got home and saw that, she started crying. It was such a wonderful gift and beautiful. I'm thinking, this stuff stinks. But, <laughs> but she loved it. So, next morning, a Sunday morning, I mean, Jerry knew who it was. The so next morning, Sunday morning, she saw a Mac, a member of the church. She went over and gave Mac a hug and a kiss in the cheek as she wept and thanked him for this gift that he had given. And Mac looked at me and he said, Pastor, doesn't take much to make your wife happy. <laughs> and I didn't know if he was talking about the manure or if he was talking about me. <laughs> but regardless, that's when my education on gardening began. And since that time, I've always had a garden. 
No matter how big or small our yard is, I find a way to have a garden. I grow flowers, you know, coming from my history, and we grow vegetables coming from Jerry's history. I always have a garden. And if you were to come over to our home today, you would see what I mean. Last night, or yesterday afternoon, we took some pictures of our yard so you could see it. If you come to our front door, you'll see lots of colors. You're going to put the pictures there. You go. You see lots of colors, spring colors. And not only is the front yard full, but the backyard too. The spring flowers are really beginning to bloom now. The winter gar vegetable garden that I put in is really coming on strong. The beets are coming on, as, are, as is the chard and some lettuce. The spring garden, uh, tomatoes are starting to put fruit on the vine. I love the gardening. I love getting my hands in the dirt. For me, it's kind of like therapy. Getting my hands in the dirt. It's kind of like therapy. And again, if you were to come over to my house, you would be right in saying, wow, our pastor must need a lot of therapy. Because <laughs> we grow a lot of stuff there. I love gardens. There's something from deep within me that yearns for the beauty of a garden. Did you know that gardens have a prominent place throughout the biblical story? I'm going to take you to four gardens this morning. The first is found in the first page or so of the Bible. It's a garden that God created in order to dwell with human beings. The story of Adam and Eve. Remember the name of the garden? The Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve dwelled with God, and it was a beautiful place, and everything they needed was provided there. God let them know that all that was in the garden was for their enjoyment. Everything but one thing, one tree that was in the middle of the garden. They were to stay away from that tree, not eat its fruit, or else they would die. Remember the name of the tree? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the name of the tree, the name of the tree lets us know what the story's about. It's about temptation, how it is that temptation can come to our lives, temptations for us to do what we know to be wrong. Temptation can come. And temptation came, and Adam and Eve gave in to the temptation. They ate the fruit, and immediately, immediately, things started turning bad for them. Brokenness came into their relationship as they started pointing fingers and blaming each other and trying to hide from each other. Brokenness came between them and God as they started pointing fingers and blaming God and trying to hide from God. Just as God had said, death was starting to come into the relationships. And having turned their back upon God and done what they wanted to do, they had no choice but to leave the garden. And there's a subtlety in all of this that's important not to miss. Because in the garden, there was another tree. And that tree was called the tree of life. And as they left the garden, they left behind the tree of life. Mortality and brokenness and ultimately death. Well, just because Adam and Eve turned their backs upon God doesn't mean that God turned God's back upon them. And so the story ends with God following them out of the garden, following behind in order to bring about a plan that would restore creation, that would restore the garden, which takes us to the second garden story. About halfway through the biblical narrative itself, part of the story of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, after three years 
of Jesus being in ministry. After three years of him going about proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand, after three years of him healing people because in the kingdom there is healing, after three years of feeding the masses because in the kingdom people's needs are met, after three years of forgiving people of their sins because in the kingdom people's sins are forgiven, after three years of telling stories about gardens and gardeners and sowing seeds and how the kingdom was going to grow slowly, after three years of ministry, he gathered with his disciples in an upper room, shared his last supper, and then they departed. They went to the Mount of Olives. And from there, Jesus went to a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus fell to his knees and he began to pray, Lord, if it be possible, take this cup from me. In order to understand this garden scene and Jesus' prayer, they need to back up to the beginning of his ministry. Right after Jesus was baptized, the scriptures tell us that the Spirit led him out into the wilderness, into the wilderness, the exact opposite of the garden, into the wilderness, this place of great temptation where he fasted and prayed. And he stood up to the temptations. And after 40 days and 40 nights, the story ends, and we hear that the devil who had been tempting him decided to retreat and wait for an opportune time. Another temptation yet to come. And by that, we know it's meant the big temptation, the hard temptation. It was about to come. We get a hint of what that temptation will be about halfway through his ministry. When Jesus asks Peter, Peter, who do people say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Messiah. And ding, ding, he got it right. And then Jesus went on to tell him how the Messiah would suffer and die. And, and Peter interrupted him and said, no, that's not going to happen to you. That's not who you are. And remember what, what Jesus said to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. There's the temptation. The temptation to not fulfill the very plan of God. There's the temptation. And Jesus did not need one of his closest disciples speaking with the voice of the devil. He didn't need one of his closest disciples bringing that temptation to him. Get behind me, Satan, he said. Which takes us back to the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus fell to his knees as he prayed, Lord, if it be possible, take this cup from me. And that seems like a pretty simple little prayer. And because we know how it ends, it doesn't seem like that big a deal. Except remember in the story, Jesus is portrayed as agonizing in this prayer. To the point where he sweated blood in such agony. He was engaged in a battle. He was engaged in a battle with temptation itself. Not with a temptation, but with the temptation. And engaged in that battle, there comes a point where he simply looks to the heavens and he says, not my will, but thine be done, O God. The exact opposite of what Adam and Eve had said, who said, not thy will, but mine be done, O God. Jesus prayed, not my will, but thine be done, O God. And as he prayed, the power of temptation began to fade away from him. It was gone. As he prayed, well, how would we portray what's going on in the garden? I picture in that moment, 
crocuses and daffodils beginning to bloom. The garden is beginning to be restored. Which takes us to the third garden. The garden of redemption. In the Gospel of John, we hear that in the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, there was a tomb where Jesus' body was laid. And we know on the first Easter morning at the third day, Mary arrived at the garden in order to care for Jesus' body, as was the custom. And when she arrived, she found that the tomb was open and, the, and it was empty. And immediately she thought somebody had stolen his body. Of course, that's what she would think. She lived in a world of death. How did she know that Christ was bringing forth a world of life? Of course, that's what she thought. Then she saw somebody walking and she mistook him for the gardener. It was Jesus, but she thought he was the gardener. And don't miss the symbolism here. They're in the garden and she mistakes Jesus for a gardener because he was doing some gardening. He was working the soil. And he was working hard there upon the cross, taking upon him the weight of the sins of all of the worlds, going all the way back to Adam and Eve throughout the generations, taking that upon himself so that they would die with him. Only for him to be raised to new life, overcoming the very power of, of death itself. Yeah, he was working in the garden. Easter, it means that there's a power at work in this world greater than we can begin to imagine. There's a power greater than sinfulness, and that's the righteousness of God. There's a power greater than fear, and that's the love of God. And there is a power that is greater than death itself, and that is the life that we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In the early church, preachers, and trying to help people understand what happened between Jesus dying and being raised to life would paint a picture. In those days, they believed that when people died, they went to a place called the place of the dead, where they awaited the coming of Christ and the final judgment. And they portrayed Jesus going to the place of the dead and working his way through all those who had died, going all the way back in time, all the way back to Adam and Eve. In front of Adam and Eve, he shouted, wake up. You were not made for death. Wake up. You were not made for death. You were made for life. I love that. I love that. You were not made for death. You were made for life. Now, whether that's what happened during that period of time, this we know. The power of resurrection there's a power greater than sin, a power greater than fear, a power, a power greater than death itself. Yeah, we, we look around our world and we can see the brokenness. We hear the news. We know that there's great brokenness. We know that there's reason to be afraid. And we know that there's death all around us. But as we look, we know too that there are signs of the kingdom of God. There are Christians everywhere who are praying not my will, but thine be done, O God. There are Christians everywhere who are seeking to follow Jesus, proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand, planting those seeds. There are Christians everywhere who are doing good. And as we take a look around in the midst of the darkness, we begin to see the flowers bloom.
the garden, the garden, it is being restored. Which takes us to the fourth garden. I'll call this one the garden of fulfillment. The garden of fulfillment. Just as the Bible begins in the first two pages with a garden, the Bible ends the last two pages with a garden. The last two chapters of the book of Revelation talk about how there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Not a different earth, this earth being made new. And it talks about a new Jerusalem, the beautiful city. And it uses garden talk to talk about a river that is flowing through, bringing forth life. And along the banks of the river, there is a tree. And guess what the name of the tree is? The tree of life. And on that tree, it never ceases to bear fruit. And the leaves of the tree are used for the healing of the nations. For God is doing an amazing thing, creating all things new. And so the author John says, the day is coming when God's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more pain and no more mourning. Death itself will pass away for God is making all things new. Restoring the garden, the garden and the life we were created to live in relationship with our Lord, living in peace and with joy with one another. Oh, how we long, how our spirits yearn for the garden. For Christians, Easter is a big deal. It's a big deal. Because Easter isn't the final act of God, but rather it's a decisive act of God. It's a definitive act of God that set human history on a new trajectory, a trajectory toward the fulfillment and the restoration of the Garden of Eden. For Christians, Easter is a big deal. It's a big deal. Yeah, we still see death around us. Some of us have lost loved ones and we grieve. And of course we grieve. We we miss them. But because of Easter, we know that they can run and not grow weary. They can walk and never tire. They can mount up with wings like an eagle and they soar. Because of Easter, we know that we don't have to fear death. For our Lord has prepared a place for us. And one day he'll come and take us to that place so we can be where he is. And in that place, there will be glad reunions with those who have gone on before us. Easter is a big deal for Christians. It's a big deal. Yeah, there's brokenness all around us and there is illness all around us. But we know, we know that the day will come when brokenness will die and when illness will die and we will go forth to live. Easter, it's a big deal for Christians. It's a big deal. We live in a time of great anxiety with lots of reason to fear. We fear for our safety. But we know, we know that there is a power at work in this world that is greater than the brokenness, a power at work in this world that is greater than the fear, a power in this world that is greater than death itself. And it is the power of resurrection, what God has done for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, and so, we gather and proclaim Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen indeed. Even as our hearts yearn, yearn, long for the fulfillment of what God has begun in Christ Jesus our Lord, the restoration of the garden. Thanks be to God. Amen? Amen. Amen.
Amen.